Hello, and welcome to the Dissing My Ability podcast, where myself and guests try to remove the stigma and shame associated with living with a disability. I'm your host, Ken Meeker, certified professional coach and the owner of Vitality Career Coaching. Today, my guest is Brooke Beatty. I first met Brooke when I was a student at the Foundation for Blind Children in their comprehensive program for adults. And later we became colleagues when I started working at FBC as their career specialist job readiness instructor. Brooke, like myself, is a information junkie, which is one of the reasons we got along so well. And uh, (laughs) I'd like to welcome to the show, Brooke Beatty. Thank you so much, Ken. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to be on your podcast. Um, It's great to be here. So thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Glad you glad you're on. I'm hoping you might be able to share with the audience out there just a little bit about yourself and how disability affects your day to day living. Of course, what you disclose is entirely up to you and personal, but just sort of what how it interacts with your day to day activities, your normal tasks. You know, because one of the things I often say is living with a disability, we all have to do the same stuff other people do, but we have to do it different. If you could kind of share just how your personal experience with that is. Sure. So it might help to understand what my disabilities actually are. Um, I have vision loss, uh, so I do have some usable vision, but not a ton. Uh, I'm also neurodivergent. So both of those things affect how I gather information, how I process information, and how I do any number of things uh, as a human. I agree with you that really it's it's not about you know, what we can and cannot do. It's how we do the things that we do. So, you know, I'm a busy human. I like to try things and do stuff and do all the things. And that means I have to find workarounds for all the things that I need and want to do. And some of those are technical and technological workarounds like assistive technology and adaptive aids, things that are specifically designed to be assistive and supportive to people with disabilities. Some of those are technical things and technologies that they're not designed to be assistive tech, but they can function that way. And then there's things that are, um, I don't know, sort of procedural techniques, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe them, things I actually do a little bit differently. Um, And then I would say the fourth category of kind of ways that that I work in the world as a person with disabilities is interpersonal communication. Interpersonal communication is a tricky one, especially with a a visual impairment, because we miss a lot of visual cues, you know, body language, all, all kinds of different things are missed when we can't see them aside from just running into things and all the other fun stuff that happens. But (laughs) with regard to uh, interpersonal communication, what are some of the ways that you've adapted to pick up on visual cues and, you know, body language and things like that? What techniques have you adopted that allow you to pick up that nonverbal information um, so that I have somebody that I've, that I know who is totally blind and something she and I've talked about is that she often misses certain cues that are nonverbal because she can't see them and it's taken her 20 plus years to adapt to that. What have you sort of adapted yourself to fit into a world that where a lot of things are nonverbal, a lot of communication is? I'm so glad you're asking this question because it's the kind of thing that people don't necessarily think of as a thing we would do differently as people with vision loss. They think about things like how do you go places and do stuff or do you even go places and do stuff? they don't always think about the ways in which communication is impacted by vision loss. I do a lot of different things. The first thing is really just being aware that I might be missing out on information. That is not something I woke up with. That's something I had to learn (laughs) through a lot of trial and lots of error, um, you know, and be told explicitly as a kid, you know, these are the things that other people are 
uh, expressing or, you know, a silence can mean a lot of things. Um, so that was the first thing is really I have to be aware that there are probably data that I don't have unless I really go look for them for various quantities of look. Um, so if there is a silence, I need to think about what could that possibly mean? It could mean the person I'm talking to just glanced at their phone really quickly or zoned out for a second or is taking a moment to think about what they're saying. It could be that they're experiencing an emotion that is challenging. They feel uncertain. They feel worried. They feel whatever. Um, it could be that they're just completely overwhelmed by how rad I am and just can't words for a second. Okay, no, maybe not. <laughs> Great so, answer. Great answer. I think of it like this, right? I know I'm missing some information. And so when that occurs, I kind of I visualize it as like, here's this potential cloud of little data points, little variables that could explain the silence or that could be connected to that missing information. I have to hold on to a lot of those possibilities and the possibility that something's going on that I can't predict or, or guess at without doing that thing we sometimes do as humans where, oh, this person's silent and I'm worried that they're angry at me. So therefore they are definitely angry at me. Right. Yeah, so you have yeah. to be aware of, you have to hold things as variables until yeah. you have more information. Um, so those are the first two things, really be aware that you're missing information and be alert to things that can indicate, hey, something, this is the point at which you are missing something. Not making assumptions is I, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and asking, asking yeah. lots of questions and letting people know that it's okay, that they're feeling whatever it is they're feeling, that they can, you know, please communicate that to me openly and clearly. Um, I think it maybe helps people to know that I'm neurodivergent because then they're thinking, okay, yeah, this person probably needs things to be a little more explicit and it maybe wants more information. So, um, you know, I'm very open with people about that also. Well, yeah, I think that's when people don't have all the information, they also make assumptions. And so that's why I just try to be upfront. It prevents there from being any sort of miscommunication. So I think that that's incredibly important as well. So one of the things that touching, you know, on misinformation, arguably our eyes are our most used sensor. We rely on it so much because we get so much information from our sight and, you know, our environment about other people, all that kind of stuff. And while we have five senses, uh, the majority of what people rely on for information gathering about environment and stuff is their eyes. So we have to learn on, you know, lean on to other senses like hearing. And so what methods have you found most effective for supplementing your eyesight when it comes to information gathering? Like, is there are, you know, whether it be, you know, people like to say, well, your hearing must be amazing. <laughs> no, my hearing's the same as anybody else's but it's just, I've had to adapt to using it better, you know, relying on it more frequently. What is your experience with that kind of thing? I have indeed been asked that question. My hearing is not any more acute um, than I think anybody else's is, but like you said, I'm, I'm better than I would have to be if I were sighted at using the information I can hear and all of the sensory data that I have. And so I'm, I'm using that information maybe more consciously than I would have to if I were sighted and could just take things in at glance. I also wonder, and this is speculation, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I wonder if there is kind of different wiring that happens um, and different things happening subconsciously that we're not aware of um, as far as sensory processing and, and other things neurobiologically that develop over time um, in people with, with sensory impairments as we get better at using the sensory information that we do have. So I wouldn't be terribly surprised if that were the case. So as for things that I actually do differently, I listen hard to tone of voice and word choice, um, but I also have to 
uh, keep in mind that I don't always know what something means. I can observe, you know, oh, a thing, a thing has occurred, but I don't necessarily know what it means. Mm -hmm. And having kind of a baseline with the people in my life, knowing how they normally sound or sound under various circumstances, that helps. Because then when somebody is feeling stressed out, I can hear that something's different in their voice. And then I can, you know, talk with them about it if that's appropriate, ask them questions and, and be there for them. I mean, the thing is, like, I, I love people and it's really important to me that people feel safe and that they know that their thoughts and feelings and needs and wants matter. And I want to support that. So part of why I, I do everything that I do to try and get that information about how others are feeling and what they think, I do that because I don't want to miss something important. Yeah. I wish more people would practice that. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's, it seems that it's not as common as it should be. Yeah. It's what empathy and compassion practiced and actually, you know, when somebody's actually engaged in it actively, that's, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I think we both agree on is the world's not designed for people that have a disability. I think that, you know, those of us that are differently able to, we have to adapt to the world we live in. You know, it'd be nice if the world would shift to our, you know, what we need, but that's just not practical. You know, we should always in, try to get, you know, the world should have more access. It should, mm -hmm. you know, move more in our direction, but it's going to be a constant thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, inclusiveness and it, making things accessible is going to be a constant push towards more and more and more. Mm -hmm. um, and until we finally get there, if we ever do, we have to adapt to the world we live in. What specific adaptations have you implemented in your own life to not go crazy in a world full of people that can see? <laughs> are, you, are you asking about kind of social interactions and, and coming up against sort of societal and attitudinal? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think some of it is just being okay with my own self as the person that I am. Um, I mean, I'm weird and I'd be weird with or without disabilities. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a hundred percent fine with that. I think embracing that and just embracing my weirdness and my overabundance of whimsy, um, that has been really empowering. Like I am okay as the person that I am. And I think like the very first glimmer of that, I remember happening sometime in high school. I, you know, I went through a phase where I felt very self-conscious about the way my eyes look and I was not comfortable using a cane. And so I was just kind of trying to muddle through. And I had been wearing these tinted glasses, which were the ones I were wearing and the way I was working, it's just not cute. Not my cutest look. I have to be honest. It was not my best look. And I, I think that because I was wearing them to try to hide something about myself. And one day in, you know, halfway through high school, after I had kind of started to find myself and find some good friends and get involved in extracurriculars, I realized I didn't want to have to wear the glasses anymore. They didn't have any prescription, by the way, they did not function in any way. And I decided that if people have a problem with how my eyes look, they can look at something else. They can look, you know, they have the option to look at any number of things besides my eyes. And that it wasn't my responsibility to try to, you know, make them comfortable in that way and to just embrace, you know, that this is just a part of how I exist in the world. I think also what has helped is to understand that, you know, we all learn as humans what we need to learn in order to function. So we can't know all the things. And mm -hmm. a lot of people's behaviors that might be really troubling or offensive or, you know, just they come from a place of ignorance and of at the same time a great sense of certainty that what little they do know is absolutely true mm -hmm. so if they know three things about someone with vision loss 
there are folks who believe that those three things are absolutely true. And then they meet somebody with vision loss and their mind is blown or they have kind of a meltdown because they they really can't reconcile the real human they've just met with their narrow view of of disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, that has helped me a lot to understand, okay, folks are often coming from an area of lack of knowledge and experience. And if they're willing to learn and willing to make space for, you know, for new information and for other people, that's awesome. I'm super excited about that. I would so, so much rather somebody, you know, start a conversation and maybe say something a little awkward. Um, and then we can kind of move on from there as as they learn and as I learn them. Then to have someone assume, oh, gosh, I can't talk to that person. They have a disability, right? Yeah. Yeah. Living authentically matters a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And when we can find the courage to do it and we accept ourselves for who we are, uh, I think generally we're a lot happier. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we really are. We have to live with ourselves all the time. I know. Be okay with ourselves. Yeah. And and embracing, you know, nobody's perfect, including, you know, ourselves and um, and I think something that I, I, I mentioned to people often is we all have limitations and a lot of them are not even necessarily based on disability. Mm-hmm. I will never be a basketball star and it has nothing either. to do with my eyesight. And, you know, we all have limitations. And when we can accept that, like, you know, what, I'm not going to be an astronaut either. And again, it has nothing to do with my sight. There's, you know, we all have things we're good at and we're not good at. And sometimes we have additional challenges and accepting that that it's our reality allows you to move forward. You know, I, I, I'm not a fan of saying get over something because I don't think we get over it, but we move through it. And we yeah. The other side. Yeah. And so um, one thing that yeah, I really, <laughs> I've been dying to talk about because um, I had an experience yesterday that is something I, I know that you can relate to because we've talked about it before mm-hmm. um, is the joy of, ha- of ride sharing <laughs> so I'll tell you what happened to me yesterday and then um th- then we could talk about that so yesterday I had to go okay. to the grocery store I was getting just a few things for dinner I had two grocery bags I was about a 10 minute drive from where I live and I ordered my my ride share it was going to be 14 minutes till my pickup and then when the driver was five minutes away they canceled then the next driver was 12 minutes away then that driver canceled and then the third driver canceled and so after four attempts I finally got somebody to pick me up after oh. I've been waiting outside for over a half hour. Oh, wow. Arizona summer, he, you know, it's still hot here at, at, during the day. And so by the time I got home, I was just, I was not in a happy place. And I'm pretty well adjusted. <laughs> this kind of stuff that happens, we, I know it's going to happen. But when it does, when it happens, it still gets to you. It's still frustrating. It's still, you know, pit, still pissed me off yesterday even though I had no control over it because I just wanted to get home and make dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I wasted over a half hour time just waiting to get picked up. And that's, I, I think that's a significant adjustment. I think I'm not enough people that unless that's their experience, don't realize that everything takes longer. Everything costs more money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that is permanent. That doesn't, that's never going to go away. So how do you, handle and manage that when your ride cancels on you a few times and you're standing there waiting for your to get picked up well I let myself feel my frustration I'm not gonna you know pitch a fit about it there and externalize that or dump that on other people but you know I let myself process it and go it's okay that I'm frustrated by this of course this is frustrating um so that's a, a big part of it like 
allowing space for that. Like, yeah, my feelings are legit. I try to just sort of take a deep breath and go, all right, this happened. It doesn't happen every single time, fortunately. And, and try to move through my day, as, as you put it, rather than trying to move on. I think the other way I deal with it, though, is that it, it informs my understanding of equity uh, in a larger sense as kind of a, a social science dork. Um, and I think with transportation, there's a lot to be said for kind of the lack of equity between folks who can drive and folks who can't. Um, you mentioned cost, right? Someone might have a choice between uh, a two-hour commute on um, paratransit or on the bus, um, and it's a semi-affordable commute for them, right? But it burns a lot of time. There are some risks and inconveniences and physical discomfort and some unpredictability there. Um, someone who owns and operates their own vehicle, they have to pay for that car. They have to you know, pay to maintain it. They have to face unexpected expenses when things break. They have to deal with gas prices that fluctuate and so on. And that costs money, but yeah. they get constant access to a vehicle. They get built in constant flexibility to change their plans, to be spontaneous, um, to to yes in or nope out of things, right? Yeah. You're out for an evening with people and all of a sudden it's, you know, you want to go home before anyone else does. If you've scheduled paratransit, you're stuck waiting until paratransit shows up, right? Whereas if yeah. you're... So equity... Um, when I have those frustrating experiences, one of the things that I do to feel a little bit better is kind of let that deepen my understanding of the intricacies of, of equity, including taking some time to think about, you know, what the experiences are of, of folks who don't have disabilities, understanding their perspectives. And I think that's important just, you know, so that I remember that everyone is human, right? And, and I'm exercising empathy. Um, but also, it helps me have more effective conversations with people who might say, well, yeah, you know, you have to wait for your ride, but you don't have this giant car payment. Right. But what are you paying for with that payment? You are paying for constant access. And I don't have a way to pay for that. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very rambling answer. Thank you. Yeah, no, no. I think, no, you, I, I, I think you were pretty clear and concise and it made me, it reminded me of an experience that a, a friend had uh, with regard to transportation and of course, it would, it would still nice, be nice to be able to do spontaneous things and all that kind of stuff. But her experience was a friend who was supposed to be the reliable transportation. I can't remember if they wanted to leave early or something like that and basically stranded her at a, at a venue and she had to find a way home. Oh, wow. And, you know, the, uh, that's a situation where, you know, if all things being equal... If you drove, that's not something that's going to happen. Of course, anybody can get left behind. But when you're visually impaired and you're at a venue and you're relying on somebody, there's the added stressor of not being familiar with your environment. Mm -hmm. All of that extra stuff, plus the cost of Ubering from one place, it's, it, it can be incredibly expensive. And mm -hmm. that's, I just, I think back to that and I'm like, that's not something I think a lot of people experience. You know, getting left is one thing, but the extra, the added fear and anxiety of being forced into a place where, how are you going to get home? Yes. And, and our physical safety yeah. is put at risk in those situations. We face risks as people with disabilities that we would not face if we did not have disabilities. Yeah. Tree branches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention to my boyfriend. He was like, no, this way. I'm like, oh, I'm independent. I'll go the way I want to go. Smack mm -hmm. right into a, yeah. 
yeah. Yep. That fun stuff. Yep. That fun stuff. Yeah. Frustrating to have to explain and, and feel that, that sometimes we have to explain and re-explain this to the people in our lives. And sometimes people really get it, yeah. but not everybody is able to think through the ramifications of say they go home early and they're thinking, oh, this person maybe has to find their way home. Someone will bring them home, but they may not be thinking about things like rideshare delays. Um, if it's late at night, you know, is there a safe place to wait? Uh, who else is around? How safe does my friend feel? Yeah. They're not thinking of all the logistics involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, this particular friend had to, the cops, she had to use the cops to, they had to help her because yeah, uh, she was so stressed and it was just, she couldn't see her phone to, oh, you know, and, and so oh. she actually had to ask. And then, you know, a grown adult, you'd be like, can you please help me? You know, as strong as anybody is, it makes you feel small in that moment because mm-hmm. it's like, who, why sh- I shouldn't have, you feel like you shouldn't have to do it. And that's yes. the, that's the unfortunate thing about it because it, that's the situation. That's the reality that we have to live in because of our disability. It's like, well, it's not fair. No. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it sucks. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is create awareness for, every, you know, for people that are out there, maybe don't know anybody, if they've never met somebody with a disability and they hear something about an experience that they've had and they feel seen, they feel heard, like I'm not the only person going through this. Yeah. Because I think that that's incredibly important because you can feel very isolated. You can feel very alone, especially when you're not able to really get out of the house that much because it's too difficult. It's too much of a chore sometimes. Yes. Social isolation is a really big challenge that people with vision loss face. We have to work a lot harder to get out there and make connections with people, especially if we're going, you know, kind of going out in person or whatever. Um, transportation is part of it, but interpersonal interactions, um, getting to know people. Yeah. Um, one of the examples I've used when I've, you know, in the, the teaching that I've done is, you know, how people might make friends, say, when they're in college, right? You strike up a conversation with this cool person in your English class, but the next day, it's not assigned seating, they don't sit next to you. You don't know where yeah. they are, if they're still there. You can't catch their eye across the quad and be like, hey, you want to get coffee? So you have to take more risks emotionally. You have to say, Hey, you seem really rad. Um, you know, do you want to exchange, you know, contact info or whatever and take that that risk? Um, and we have to, you know, also be willing to be more open about things like, oh, hey, the next time I see you, so to speak, I may not recognize you. So can you tell me who you are? Um, and we have to be willing to ask. I was in my 30s before I let myself be comfortable responding to like, hey, Brooke, how's it going with hi, who's that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you, we have to put ourselves out there in a way that exposes us a lot more to, I don't want to say rejection, but that was the first thing that popped in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we have to, because we, we're not, we can't just rely on the visual cues. We can't rely on body language. We have, mm-hmm. you know, people have to say certain things that we're not going to pick up on. And like you said, that means putting ourselves out there in a much more significant way because mm-hmm. we can't withdraw. Otherwise we just by ourselves. Right. Um, so the next one is a little, I've actually had people ask me about this before um, dating mm-hmm. and meeting people and dating can be really tough. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts or ideas or, you know, how, what's, you know, I don't want to get too personal, like about, you know, tell me about your dating life, but, um, well, the truth is, is there, I, any, is there any light that you could shed on that, that, you know, might help somebody? Um, 
go find people who are a nerd about the same kinds of things that you're a nerd about. Even if you think you're the least nerdy person in the history of nerds, <laughs> if you're as normative as you can possibly be, you're just aggressively neurotypical, you're not. If it's the Real Housewives of whatever or Thursday night sports ball or whatever, whatever you're passionate about and super into, you're a nerd about that. Go find the nerds. Imagine your life like the school cafeteria when you were in high school, right? You have all these different tables, except that when you grow up, you find out that jocks can also be robotics nerds and choir nerds and, and, and. Yeah. Um, we can define ourselves as adults more by what we do rather than having to define ourselves by what we are not or do not in ways that I think we did when we were adolescents. So go find the other nerds and then you'll find people who have kind of similar interests and, and similar values and mindsets. I haven't done a lot of sort of traditional dating. You know, I... What's traditional dating anyway? Oh, you get on an app or you whatever and you schedule dates with a whole bunch of people and it's like a scene in a romantic comedy where you just have you know this this montage of like terrible dates or whatever <laughs> and then eventually you meet somebody who's really awesome and you're like mm, okay they're rad I'm, this is great um get to the I, good part <laughs> right yeah yeah i want to cut to the feeling yeah so my fiance is amazing. I got super lucky. We met through friends and um, he, you know, does not have disabilities, but he's one of the most empathetic people I've ever met. He's an amazing listener and he's just, I'm going to embarrass him if he hears this, but he's, he's smart and he's a wonderful human. And he takes the time to think about how other people think and feel. That's great. That's, um, <laughs> that's a, that nobody should be embarrassed by the, that compliment. So I, share the sentiment you know i i was somebody who was very understanding and very very thoughtful about the things that matter and so one last thing i would like to touch on is you 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 said something in like the questionnaire that i sent over to you and you said something that i thought was really really important and incredibly meaningful what advice you would give or wisdom you would share with somebody else who had similar experiences and uh, i wanted to share that uh, what you said because i think it's really quite profound. You said, remember that you matter. Your time, your effort, knowledge, skills, and abilities are valuable. You deserve opportunities to move through the world in ways that work for you. And I love that. You. And I'm hoping you could uh, maybe elaborate on that further and just expand on that thought, because I think I, I couldn't agree more with that. Well, thank you. And I'm, I am passionate about this. I think, first of all, you tell your people you love them. Right. Yeah. Um, and if you don't act, you know, if, tell, tell people they matter. The world is full of things and people who, you know, knowingly or unknowingly can tear you down and tell you you don't matter or that you're not really a person. Right. You're not actually a regular person. You're othered in some way. So it matters that we take the time to tell other people, hey, I'm glad you're here. You matter. Yeah. Let's make we don't say it enough. Yeah, you don't, you don't say that enough. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And it's, you know, I was having I was out of town this last weekend visiting some cousins who I hadn't seen in a while. And it was so touching because we never know the impact we have on other people, even if it's family and we're love, we love them, we're close to them. W one of my cousins, she just, you know, we, we just had a moment that was so powerful and touching. And it was like, wow, I, I, I this person really, really loves me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know you know these things but when you feel it and you see and you hear it and you, it's right there and that that just it, it can kind of take you back it is like wow this is 
this is, it, it feels good. And the more we can do that and just allow ourselves to share how we really feel that we care about people and love them, everyone benefits from that. I think so too. And I, I think one of the challenges that, you know, we face if as people with disabilities is being othered and that, you know, that can make us feel like we don't matter. Yeah. Right. So when we encounter that with another person and, and we can't seem to get past attitudinal barriers or institutional barriers, sometimes what's at the root of that, I think, is that they're not thinking of us as the same kind of person that they are. Yeah. Yeah. That they're, that we're, you know, two thirds of a person or whatever, instead of they don't see the whole person. And that's why I think it's important to live authentically because yes. if you live authentically, you, they can't, they can't do that to you. Right. Um, telling people they matter, I think is so critical because mm-hmm. everybody, we, we do, you matter, I matter everybody matters and that includes the people the hypothetical people to whom i would be giving this advice yeah right tell yourself that you matter yeah everybody matters and we never know what somebody else is going through either yeah and Truth. That's important and it's so important to um to talk about that so i think that's a great place to end thank you so much brooke for coming on and being my guest and just having this fabulously positive and inspirational you know conversation the, the world needs more of this i think thank you yeah. thank you so much for having me i always love talking with you you're so um, positive and energetic and work to put that out there into the world and i i admire that and i'm i am glad you're out there doing the things <laughs> thank you like likewise you do you do you are a um a quiet force would it, I guess would be a one way I would describe you, you know, because no describe me as quiet. That's well, uh, well yeah, <laughs> you're an underestimated force, you know, because like, you know, you're definitely not somebody to um, underestimate. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if somebody wants to find out more about you or connect with you um, and heck, you know, we barely even touched on, you know, that you, you know, that you work for the foundation for blind children, which I am, I love that organization. They've been tremendous to me. Um, So if if somebody wants to contact you, where can they, um, you know, maybe get in touch with you or find out more? Um, You're welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, You can also connect through uh, FBC's website, which is seeitourway.org, S-E-E-I-T-O-U-R-W-A-Y.org. Cool. Awesome. 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 Thank you so much again, Brooke, for, for coming on and being my guest this week. Thanks, Ken. And uh, thank you to the audience for tuning into this episode of the Dissing My Ability podcast. I am your host, Ken Meeker, and I hope you will come back every week where guests and I discuss the challenges of living with disability and work to try and remove the stigma and shame that is often associated with living with a disability. Please subscribe, share, and like the podcast. And you can find me at my website, vitalitycareercoaching.com, and there's a link below in the description. Please remember to be kind to others and to yourself.